is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Oh, well done for coming back in. Um, I assume you didn't realise I was speaking two weeks in a row, but it's... We're, uh, we're going to carry on in our series in Luke's, uh, the Gospel uh, according to Luke. Um, we started looking last week at uh, when Jesus calls Levi in chapter 5. Uh, and that little passage begins at verse 27. Uh, and we only got through a couple of verses last week, so we're going to finish it this week. A couple of weeks ago, when I was talking to Graham about this series, he said that we needed to pick the pace up a little bit. So I'm going to do twice as many verses today as I did last week. Which could mean I'm just going to talk for twice as long, obviously. But <laughs> and then at the prayer meeting on Burton, which was fantastic, it's worth a cheer, uh, Graham actually that left to me, Jesus will probably return before we finish this series on Luke. So there's no pressure here. I, I didn't think that was much of an issue because uh, he talks all about that in chapter 12. So as, far, as long as we get as far as chapter 12, you will at least be prepared. Okay, verse 27. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." So just to kind of try and help you recap a little... Oh, before I start that, today, as we... Sorry, I sidetracked myself there. Today, just try and put some connections together between what we've been singing about and some of the prophetic words that we've had and some of the readings from the Bible and what I'm talking about because I probably haven't got the, the presence of mind to do that. But God has really, really been speaking to us about some stuff today and I just want to point you in that direction because none of it was, was planned. But right at the beginning, Adam read... That doxology, the word joy came out in that doxology. Uh, Graham used it as he prayed. We've been hearing about the love of God for people and and God's healing power coming into lives this morning. I just want to highlight that because it will come out as we we talk. Great to hear you prophesy again, Carl. Really missed prophetic words from you. So God was speaking. I think it's much of a vein. So we're going to do this. Okay, so last week, Levi, um, we kind of looked through... Uh, what kind of person he was, probably didn't make the grade in terms of being good enough to become anybody's disciple, follow a rabbi, uh, probably disliked by huge numbers of people because he's collaborating with the Romans, collecting taxes for them, probably not a popular guy with the people. Uh, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes and Jesus is the talk of the whole nation at this point. He's Thousands of people are following him. He is teaching with authority. Graham spoke about that uh, the other week. Jesus teaches with authority. They've never heard anyone teach the way that Jesus teaches. He heals the sick. They, they, they flock 
with people who are unwell to come to Jesus to, to be healed. He casts out demons. He, he's doing some amazing stuff and he comes to Levi, this kind of guy who's just on the edge and says, follow me. And Levi's reaction is to throw a party. Levi's response to the call of God is to celebrate. Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. Levi's response to being called and chosen by Jesus is to throw a party and invite his work colleagues and his friends. Jesus celebrates the call of God. And uh, the first thing I really want to speak about this morning is that celebrating the call of God is a hallmark of Christian living. We know how to celebrate, don't we? I think most of us are fairly familiar with the idea of celebrating. I'm looking around, not entirely not sure. Yeah, we are. Yesterday, Mel and I celebrated. We took the children out for a meal, lunchtime. We said, get your hands ready. Get, get your hands ready. We celebrated 22 years of marriage yesterday. That is mainly for you, love. You can't see this, but all around the room, people are going, how she put up with him for 22 years? <laughs> it was a great day. It was a great day. 22 years ago, 21st of July, 1990. It was just a great year, actually, wasn't it? England in the World Cup semi-final, Gascoigne, Lineker. Faldo won the Open Championship that year on the very weekend that we got married. I missed the third round to be at our wedding ceremony. Marriage is full of sacrifice and I started as I intended to go on. Although, to be fair, um, we did leave the reception early enough to get to the hotel so that I could watch the highlights in the evening. And the next day, we, we chased up to the cottage we got in the Peak District so I could watch the final round. Nick Faldo was on fire that year. It was one of the best weekends of my life. <laughs> and uh, it's been pretty much... I haven't changed much, have I? Yesterday I fell asleep in front of the golf. That's probably one of the few things that's changed in 22 years. But we weren't just celebrating that day 22 years ago when we got married. That's why we took the children with us. Because we're celebrating 22 years of marriage. 22 years of loving one another and cherishing and honouring each other. And if as Christians we kind of get into the thing of thinking, well, I'm celebrating the day I got saved... That doesn't say much for the intervening years, does it? Actually, celebrating our salvation should be a daily thing for Christians. This should be something that excites us every day of our lives. God has chosen us and saved us. We've had a couple of big national celebrations this year, haven't we? Queen's Jubilee. I'm a bit bar humbug when it comes to things like that, but I did go to Adam's barbecue. Has Adam gone? He's in the foyer. <laughs> I went to his barbecue. It was a bit surreal, Adam's barbecue uh, in June. Kathy was dressed up as Boudicca. Francine was singing the national anthem. <laughs> Little white rabbits were running around in waistcoats. <laughs> we know what it is to celebrate. We know what it is to celebrate. Levi knew what it was to celebrate. He knew how to throw a party. Christians should know what it is to celebrate. Listen to what Peter says. You might want to turn to this because I'm going to read a bit of a passage from 1 Peter. He's writing to Christians who have been persecuted and scattered many miles apart from one another. So they're kind of all over the place. They've been persecuted. Starting in verse 3, this is what Peter has to say. Blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I just mentioned you and you missed it. You'll have to listen to the podcast. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Bible regularly tells us that we are filled with joy. That's why I was so blessed when Adam read that right at the beginning, when Graham prayed it. Rejoice always, Paul says. And again, I say rejoice. We are filled with an inexpressible joy, filled with glory. I love that. I love that. Now, now let's not pretend that Christian life is easy. Okay, these guys are not having it easy. They are grieved at the moment by trials. And yet they are filled with an inexpressible joy. Because the joy of our salvation has nothing much to do with our circumstances. Our salvation is what God has accomplished and done in us, through us, for us. That is eternal, imperishable, unfading, unfailing, eternal. It's not shaped by our experience this morning or or our experience of the week. So when we come on a Sunday, sometimes, and I'm not, this is not a criticism of anybody, but sometimes we're encouraged to put aside the things of the week. And I'm not sure that's helpful when we come to worship God. I'll tell you why, because it kind of gives us the impression that we put down the things that trouble us, the things that are difficult and hard, and we worship God. And when we finished worshipping God, we pick those things up again and we carry on into Monday morning. Actually, what we need to learn to do is to worship and honour and praise God and celebrate our salvation in the midst of our circumstances and our trials and our suffering and our hardship. That, I think that's why we love the Psalms so much. Because the Psalmists are just honest. Life is tough. Bad stuff is happening. My enemies around me. But I will praise you. Psalm 27. I'm just going to turn to this. This became a favourite psalm of mine when when I was uh, not well. God spoke to me about this. And I've heard this quoted and sung and read in Jubilee a number of times. So you will be familiar with this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I'll tell you why he says that. Because there are enemies around and He has every right to be afraid. This isn't kind of a random thought that crosses David's mind. No, this is real. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. 
Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, I will be confident. One thing I have asked after the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. In the midst of our tough times, when things are difficult, when our health is a worry, when our finances are insecure, when our job is tough, when relationships are struggling, we worship and celebrate our salvation because God's grace and greatness is far above all that stuff. Hallelujah. Thank you. We don't come here to worship God in unreality, pretending that life is easy and he is great. We come here to worship God because he is great. So this is Levi's reaction. He is chosen by God. He celebrates. I think this should be the hallmark of Christian living. We are chosen by God. We have an eternal salvation. We live in the joy and the celebration of that day after day, year after year, for all eternity. And we know that God is with us in our difficult and tough circumstances. That places Levi right at the centre of what Jesus is doing here. And notice the contrast with the Pharisees. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Actually, the way they describe Levi's friends is quite interesting. Luke describes Levi's friends as tax collectors and others. The Pharisees see tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are on the outside looking in judgmentally and grumbling and complaining. Why are they doing that? Well, there's two possible reasons they're on the outside. One is, Levi didn't invite them. Seems quite likely. They hate the guy. They, they, they are very judgmental about him and his friends. They don't see others. They don't see friends of Levi. They see sinners. They see someone who's collaborating with the Romans. They see someone who doesn't follow the laws of God. They're on the outside because Levi doesn't really want them there. But, even if he had invited them, they would not have gone. They wouldn't have gone to a party with this man and his friends. They'd have become, in their minds, they would have become polluted if they had gone to this party. They would somehow have become tarnished by, by the sinners that this man was with. It would have affected them. So they wouldn't have gone in anyway. But they're in conflict because they want to be with Jesus. Why, why would they be anywhere near the party if they didn't want to be with Jesus? These are the religious guys. These are the people who lead the people. 
These are the ones who understand what the Old Testament is all about and teach it and explain it and apply it and help people live their lives in a godly way. And Jesus is someone who has come with incredible authority and anointing. They want to be with him. Surely he wants to be with them. Surely Jesus wants to come to the people who know and love God. Why isn't he with them? Why isn't he with us? Why is he in there with them? I want to talk to him. I want to question him. I want to find out what's going on. I want to see if there's a miracle in that house. I don't want to be stood out here. What's he doing in there with them? If you ever find yourself on the edge of church life, looking in and grumbling, be very, very careful. Catch yourself. Catch yourself very quickly. It is so easy to stand on the outside and grumble. I've experienced this in all kinds of settings. I've worked in offices like this. If you've ever worked in an office, you have probably worked with people who don't really do anything to help, but just criticise the management over every decision that they make. You know? They don't actually change anything. They just complain all the time. We have to be very careful that we don't find ourselves slightly on the edge looking in, thinking, why is that going on? Why is that happening? Why does he do that? It's a dangerous place to be. Paul, when he writes to Philippians, he says this to them. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. I think the NIV has complaining. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, or holding out in the NIV, to the word of life. Don't allow yourself to feel like you're on the edge, looking in, criticising and complaining. But get stuck in and make a difference and be pure and blameless children of God, holding out the word of life. Where is Jesus? He's not on the outside with the religious folk who are all judgmental and critical. He's in the party, enjoying the company of Levi and his friends. And we know that their lives are going to be impacted by that. We know that you can't be around Jesus and not have your life impacted by that. Where do we need to be? We want to be inside the party with the people who need to hear Jesus, with the people who kind of feel disenfranchised probably themselves. They gather together because no one else will have them. That's where we want to be. We want to be reaching the folk who know that they need Jesus. That's where we want to be. Little story. Sometimes you pray stuff that surprises you, don't you? Have you ever had the experience of praying and listening to yourself, thinking, what are you saying when you pray? When when we first started coming to Jubilee, just under three years ago, came to a prayer meeting and Graham encouraged us to pray for the city. Uh, And I think we were all kind of praying out loud, one of those, you know, we're all praying together for the city. I began to pray for the kind of people I pray for 
down the top of my agenda. I began to pray for some of the street homeless. I began to pray for uh, some of the drug addicts, some of the alcoholics. And suddenly I began to pray about prostitutes. I don't know where that came from. I, I kind of caught myself praying that, thinking, Kevin, what are you doing? Up to then, my only experience of prostitution in Derby was sitting in my car in Normanton, writing up some file notes on a hot day with my windows open, when a young lady came up and asked me if I was looking for business. I started, <laughs> I started praying for... I'm thinking, Kevin, what are you doing? But, you know, in the, in the three years since then, we have been able to house a number of girls trying to get off the streets to stop working. We've, we start to build a relationship with a Christian outreach organisation in Derby who've referred some working girls to us, to house. And we've been able to refer some working girls to them for further counselling and support. Something in my spirit said, that's where I want to be working, that's where I want the gospel to go. And suddenly I find, not huge numbers, but God is, God is bringing working girls into our accommodation. We're able to bless them. On a really practical level, just to encourage you, somewhere, well, <laughs> this may not encourage you, at the moment, so anywhere between a third and a half of our residents at, at, at Faith Open Enterprise are getting no benefit. But either because they're not in the system, or they've had a suspension, or their six been turned down, they've got to go back on JSA, and, it's, and they get no money. Where does a working girl go when for weeks at a time she's getting no money? How does she eat? <laughs> well, I, want to, I thank you on their behalf. The, the, the food that you donate, a pound a week or one item a week that we can give out, keeps those girls off the streets because you're keeping them fed. Oh, that's where Jesus wants us to be. This is who Jesus wants to be with. Bring in the gospel. There'd have been working girls at this party. Of course there would. Jesus is there. He's comfortable in their company. He can hold out the word of life. He doesn't want to be on the outside, judgmental, criticising. He wants to be right in the middle, reaching them out. And that's exactly what he says to the Pharisees. They're grumbling and Jesus answers them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, let's, let's not hear what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that the Pharisees are righteous. You do not have to read very much of the Gospel accounts to know that Jesus does not think the Pharisees are righteous. He's speaking to their state of mind. You think you're righteous. Well, I haven't come for you. I haven't come for people who are standing in their own righteousness. I've come for people who recognise their sin, who recognise that they need Jesus. That's who I've come to reach. That's who we are here to reach. That's what God has called us to, to reach out to people who know that they've messed up their lives and know that they need the touch of God. But Jesus was also doing something here that I just want to point out is really, this is important in church life, okay? And it's a bit, it's the grumbling of the Pharisees. The Pharisees grumble to the disciples, but they're not really upset with the disciples. They know who the disciples are. We know what kind of men the disciples are. They're not, they're not really upset with the disciples. They're really upset with Jesus. 
But they're grumbling to the disciples. Notice what Jesus does. He comes straight to the Pharisees. That's how Jesus tells us to handle things when we have some relationship issues. In Matthew, he tells us it works in two directions. Just want to read these to you. This is important in terms of living together. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. That's a bit challenging. If you are sitting here this morning and somebody has something against you, what are you doing here? You actually ought to be going to them, taking the initiative, getting it sorted, says Jesus. Get that sorted, then come back and worship God. And in chapter 18, he says it works the other way around too. Chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So, whether someone has something against you or you have something against them, the responsibility for putting it right is yours. The initiative is yours. And you do it direct to the person, one-to-one. The only people you speak to about that are the people who are part of the problem or part of the solution. Anything else is gossip. The Pharisees don't do that. They don't speak to Jesus on this occasion. They do sometimes, but on this occasion they are grumbling to the disciples. Jesus comes to them direct and says, this is the issue. I'm talking to you. See, the challenge when there are things that we're not happy with and we're feeling on the edge and we're grumbling is that we grumble to the wrong people. We need to go to the person to get it sorted. Jesus does that. He comes to the person and he gets it sorted. Jesus does that for you in your life today. Jesus is not going around other people in the church talking about you. He is coming to you by the power of his spirit to address issues with you. That's how he works. That's how he wants us to work. That's what the church should look like. We are a celebratory community. If I said the word custard, would that help? <laughs> I got a laugh from Adam, that was good enough. Okay, so, this is the story of this guy then. We spent a couple of weeks looking at him. This is Levi, chosen by Jesus. Pretty much rejected by a lot of other people, didn't make the grade, chosen by Jesus, just like we have been. Because just like Levi, we were lost and apart from God. We were dead in our sins when Jesus chose us and called us. And just like Levi, our response should be to celebrate that. Not just one day, but every day is a celebration of God's grace 
and forgiveness towards us. Every day. If you catch yourself just on the edge and you feel a bit grumbly and a bit judgmental, just catch hold of yourself and, and deal with it. Deal with it with yourself. Deal with it with the person. Because if you're on the edge feeling like that, you cannot be where Jesus is in the party ministering the grace and the mercy and the love of God to people who need him. Okay? As a church, if we are going to be effective in this mission, we've got to be together in it. We've got to be unified in it. We want to be right there with the people that Jesus is reaching. That's what we want to do, isn't it? Okay. Gradually, the musicians are going to make their way to the stage. They are, they are slowly returning to us with the promise of custard. I think that's what did it. That, that's what happened. I said the word custard. The invitation went out to all the musicians who were down in Resound. Custard, come back in the main meeting. We want to respond to God. Don't you? I was told not to embarrass my children by saying, could you go out now and get the rest of the musicians in? Use a code word. Well, the code word was custard. But there's no point in that now, Michael, because I've just told everybody. The alternative was something from Ice Age, peaches. Custard is better. Yeah, you haven't watched Ice Age. Maybe that would have worked. Anyway. (laughs) You keep talking, they're not all here. Peace is thinking, why do people listen to you for so long? <laughs> I told them once that they wanted to go to Resound. I said, I, I'm preaching. You could listen to me preach. And one of my uh, children just said, I listen to you all the time, Dad. <laughs> anyway, what we're going to do now, we're going to respond to God. And the response is this. We want to be part of your mission. Okay, as a church, it's not an individual response, it's a corporate response, there's a mission out there. Let's get in amongst the people that Jesus wants to reach, the people who know they need salvation. Let's do it together. Okay, let's do that together. That's far more effective. So in your singing, this is your response. This is what you're saying to God, not asking you to come forward. I'm just asking you to go for it. Can you go for it now? I know we are. I, I, I live with three teenage daughters. I, getting everybody together in the same place at the same time. I know. That's always the case. Let's respond. Let's respond to God. We're here to serve him, aren't we? We're here to reach the poor. Jesus, thank you for your mission to this earth to bring us into the family of God. Thank you that you came to us in our sin and in the miry pit that we found ourselves in, and you rescued us, and you have given us new birth into eternal life. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for our salvation. We so want to praise you and love you for the inheritance that we have received, and we want to serve you in reaching this city for the lost. Lord Jesus, we want to see your name and your renown and your fame right across Derby, Lord. We want to see you lifted up in house after house, and in in part of this town, Lord, everywhere. We want to see the name of Jesus lifted up. Father God, we want to be right at the heart of your mission. We want to reach the lost. We want to see sinners saved, oh God. 
Lord, will you accept this, our response to your call this morning? We are here for you. We are here to serve you. We are here to make the name of Jesus great because we love you. Father, accept our praise and our worship now. Accept in our hearts as we say, Lord, I'm here to serve you for the greatness of your kingdom and the wonder of your name. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you take these words we sing and, and, and let them live in our hearts day by day? We haven't come here this morning just for a one-off time of worship. We are giving our lives to you. Thank you, Lord. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.